0: We know uh, we we talked about this also on Roland Martin Unfiltered as well a little bit, the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. But I've been dealing with that a lot here uh, this week. Because it's important to understand how that bill impacts the African-American community, how it impacts America in general, but also how it impacts the African-American community. Um, James Clyburn was on. Charles, uh, he was on Charles Blow's show on the Black News Channel. He was on there, I think it was Thursday, and talking about the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. We're going to deal with that because, uh, it's, he, he breaks down how it would impact the African American community. But then also that was on, um, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, November 10th. He was on Charles Blow's show, okay, on uh, the Black News Channel. But, this past Monday, I don't know if people saw coverage of this. Monday, uh, November 8th, uh, Secretary of Transportation uh, Pete Buttigieg was uh, at a White House uh, daily briefing, White House uh, press briefing. And he talked about uh, historic racism when it comes to uh, infrastructure. Okay. He talked about historic racism when it comes to uh, infrastructure and he dealt with uh, how they're trying to address that uh, historic racism with the infrastructure bill. And he talked about expressways uh, going through the African American community uh, in the U S interstate highway acts in 1952 and 56 that drove uh, 41,000 miles of U S interstate highway throughout the African American community. But he also, talked about um, in New York and he talk, uh he, he dealt with uh, infrastructure in New York and how overpasses in New York uh, were lowered, the height of overpasses uh, were lowered to restrict uh, buses carrying African American children and Puerto Rican children um, Uh, carrying them to the beach and things like this so they couldn't pass through. And he talked about Robert Moses. Well, references Robert Moses. Robert Moses was a a New York City official who set out to reshape how the city's residents moved and reshape the infrastructure uh, of the city of New York. And uh, it's a a deep, deep history here. So we're going to talk some about that also. Uh, I I talked about this earlier in the week. There's a good piece, uh, one from uh, Joanne Reed's blog and then also from Rachel Maddow's blog as well. But there uh, is numerous uh, information dealing with a history of racism when it comes to uh, interstate highways coming from the Department of uh, Transportation. Now, Pete Buttigieg got backlash from uh, Republicans like. Senator Ted Cruz, line flying Ted Cruz, Cancun Ted Cruz, Geraldo Rivera, um uh Tucker Carlson and things like this, a lot of idiots on the right who want who don't want to talk about racism and say things like, Oh, well, that was back in the 1920s. Okay, but they don't want to deal with the legacy of the racism when it comes to uh transportation and it comes to highways. They don't want to have that conversation. All right, so we'll discuss that now also um Plessy versus Ferguson U.S. Supreme Court case 1896 I teach about this in uh, the online class I teach on Saturdays from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power 1865 to 1966 um Plessy versus Ferguson Homer Plessy who was the plaintiff Uh, in the, in the, uh, case that went all the way to the U S Supreme court case, it was dealing with transportation. Um, he may get a pardon. Okay. He may get a posthumous pardon. All right. So we'll talk about that as well. And and it's a deep history behind this. The Louisiana board. So this case comes out of Louisiana, Louisiana board votes to pardon Homer Plessy plaintiff in Plessy versus Ferguson, U S Supreme court case. And uh it's 125 years after the US Supreme Court decision that codified uh the Jim Crow era. And uh we'll we'll discuss this as well. Your uh historian Yahura Williams was on uh Dr. Mark Lamont Hill's show on uh, the Black News channel, Black News Tonight. He was on uh the show this past Wednesday, I think it was the 10th. And he talked about the legacy of Plessy versus Ferguson and gave some background history on this uh, Supreme Court case. So we'll talk about that also. All right. And then we'll give you updates on the online courses that I teach as well. Uh, if you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, be sure to email me at AHN show at African History dot com. AHN show at African History dot com. is coming up. Dr. King Day, African American History Month. If you want me to do a presentation either in person or virtually, email me now, okay? Because somebody contacted me two weeks ago f- f- to speak for African American History Month, so uh, I already got my first uh, booking. Email me now, Show at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, so we can uh, start getting that solidified. All right, on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now it's correct your own behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself, what you've been taught about yourself. It's based upon everything you've read, heard and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or a woman's thoughts, you can control the circumference of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now we deal with a number of different topics here on the African history network show. We do occurring current events, history, politics, Education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, to 22828. The sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, to 22828. The sign up for our email newsletter. Also visit our website, africanhistorynetwork.com, africanhistorynetwork.com. And you sign up for our email newsletter there as well. All right. Uh, we have these new break times. I'm trying to get used to them here. I, I was on Charlene Mitchell's show uh, on Thursday, right here on 9:10 a.m. Superstation WFDF, and we talked about uh, the Mc, McMichael Bryan trial, uh, the trial of the three white men um, who are on trial for killing the Mod Arbery and the killing of the Mod We talked about that and, and some other things. I'll be on Brenda Hill's show. Uh, Monday, November 15th. It shows 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. It shows on before me on Mondays. Um, I'll be on in the 10 p.m. hour. Okay, I'll be on in the 10 p.m. hour. So you can listen to that here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. Okay, so a lot of people uh, have been talking about uh, the comments from uh, Defense Attorney Kevin Gao. And he's not helping his client at all, but he's trying to, disrupt was taking place. The facts are not on his side. He's trying to disrupt uh, what's taking place in the courtroom. He said, we don't want any more black pastors. We don't want any more black pastors. And this was after Reverend L. Sharpton was sit- sitting with the family of Ahmad Arbery in the back of the courtroom, not making any disturbance. Um, we'll discuss this on the other side of the break of this to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Kwanzaa is coming and the KwanzaaShop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs. Order your Kwanzaa set today, which includes a Kanara, candles, a mat, a cup, the African American flag, and a basket. Visit theKwanzaShop.com the KwanzaaShop.com. They have Kanara sets which include a candle holder, candles a mat, and a cup. Kwanzaa is December 26th through January the 1st. Add the early bird discount code for 10% off your order placed before November 28th. Visit thekwanzashop.com and place your order today. Thekwanzashop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs to celebrate this African-American, Pan-African holiday.
1: The Thekwanzashop.com. mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called african-american community so i enlisted the help of mental health experts thought leaders and activists to help kill the ghost of willie lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome
2: we experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level so sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. We are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we
1: suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. Stop. stops for the ghost L-O-X-D block. It's time to kill a ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron
3: Life Speaks at diwilly.com. 910, The Superstation, Detroit's
4: only African American talk radio.
0: Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910A on the Superstation The Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Sunday, November 14th, 2021, and we are live. Calling numbers 313 778 7600, 313 Seven seven eight seventy six hundred is the calling number if you have a question or comment okay, so um we're gonna go here to clip one here in just a second Jalen um I was on Roland Martin unfiltered on Friday November twelfth and we discussed a number of topics uh one of them was the uh, we talked a little bit about um Day six in uh, dealing with the McMichael Bryan trial. Day six, dealing with the McMichael Bryan trial. Okay, now, once again, this is not the Ahmad Arbery trial. Okay, Ahmad Arbery is not on trial. It's Gregory McMichael, Travis McMichael, and William Bryan, who are on trial. Okay, this is not the Ahmad Arbery trial. Um, so we know on uh, Thursday... November 11th, uh, defense attorney uh, Kevin Gow, who has a history of sticking his foot in his mouth, did it once again when he was talking about uh, Reverend Al Sharpton's presence in the courtroom. And he said, um, if we're going to start a precedent starting yesterday where we're going to bring high profile members. Of the African American community, of the African American community, uh, into the courtroom to sit with the family uh, during the trial in the presence of the jury. I believe uh, that is intimidating, and it's an attempt to pressure. uh, Could be consciously or or unconsciously an attempt to pressure or influence the jury okay, an attempt to pressure or influence the jury. All right, now, one, uh, what he said was stupid, and a lot of people know that. Two, is very bigoted, but once again, you're dealing with Georgia, and Georgia has the largest Confederacy mon- Confederate monument in the country, okay, called Stone Mountain, so this is in Georgia. And uh, three, it, th- th- this is this may be one of the type of stunts that you pull when you know things are not going well for your client and you want to uh, disrupt the testimony that's taking place and disrupt uh, the trial. Uh, We talked about this on Roland Martin unfiltered and Roland spoke with Candace Kelly, legal analyst, Candace Kelly, who you you see on the black news channel. Uh, And sometimes we're co-panelists on Roland Martin unfiltered, but she, it's on the black news channel a lot and I don't blame her cause she gets paid by the black news channel. So I, I, I ain't mad at it at all. Uh, <laughs> so we spoke with Candace Kelly, uh, Roland spoke with Candace Kelly on Friday. Let's go to this clip. Jalen.
5: Well, yesterday
4: the white attorney for the three white men accused of killing the mother Arbery said in court, keep these black pastors from sitting in the courtroom. This was yesterday. Watch this.
6: My understanding, while I was across the investigator Lowry yesterday is that the right Reverend
4: Al Sharpton
6: managed to find his way into the back of the courtroom. I'm guessing he was somehow there at the invitation of the victim's family in this case. And I have nothing personally against Mr. Sharpton. My concern is that it's one thing for the family to be present, it's another thing to ask for a lawyer to be present. but. If we're going to start a precedent starting yesterday, we're going to bring high profile members of the African American community into the courtroom to sit with the family during the trial in the presence of the jury. I believe that's intimidating and it's an attempt to at pressure, could be
7: consciously or
6: unconsciously an attempt to, to pressure or influence the jury. To my knowledge, Reverend Al Sharpton has no church in Blaine County, never has, hasn't been here since Lane Brown ran for mayor, to my knowledge. But we have all kinds of people. We have school board members. We have county commissioners. We have all kinds of pastors in this town. Over a hundred. And the idea that we're going to be serially bringing these people in to sit with the victim's family one after another, obviously there's only so many pastors they can have. And the fact the, that air passes Al Sharpton right now, that's fine, but then that's it. We don't want any more black pastors coming in here, or other, Jesse Jackson, whoever was, was in here earlier this week, sitting with the victim's family, trying to influence the jury in this case. And I'm not saying the state is even aware that Mr. Sharpton was in the courtroom. I certainly wasn't aware of it until last night. But I think the court can understand.
4: We don't want any black pastors in the courtroom.
7: Mm, this was that same attorney today.
6: Your Honor, I've been asked to address some comments the other day, the court hasn't asked me to do. that, I don't think, I think I've been, I've been, whatever you've been asked to do has not been asked by the court. Very well. I, I will let the court know that if my statements yesterday were overly broad, I will follow up with a more specific motion on Monday. Uh, putting
4: that and those concerns in the proper context. And my apologies saying it might have been inadvertently beneficial. Well, joining us right now is legal analyst Candace Kelly. Candace, oh, it's amazing how the backtrack <laughs> starts. Probably because of this, Candace. Go to my iPad, folks. Uh, you heard Ben from asking me to come to Brunswick, Georgia next week. Here's why. Uh, uh, Pastor uh, Jamal Bryant, Pastor Reverend Ellis Shopton others are calling on pastors from all across the country to convene in Brunswick, Georgia on the courthouse steps next Thursday at 11 a.m. as a show of force of uh, uh, Ben Crump uh, earlier posted they wanted 100 pastors. I got a feeling it's going to be a hell of a lot more. And so this attorney, this white attorney, he, he opened up a can of worms and if he thought Uh, You know, uh, uh, one pastor, Reverend Sharpton, Reverend Jackson, Reverend Barber, sitting in the courtroom was somehow going to impact this year. He just asked for a whole lot more to show up.
8: Listen, as soon as he began talking, you know that they were starting to carpooling plans and sessions and renting buses as soon as he said it. We knew that this was going to happen, and very well it should, because, listen, when the Constitution says we the people, Roland, we the people, we are the ones who are supposed to be uh, checking the courts and, and holding public public accountability, which is why we are allowed any, in any courtroom, unless you're dealing with a juvenile or someone that's been raped, you can go to ticket court. You can go to court tomorrow. You can go to the Supreme Court. You can go to this court. There are reserved seats for reporters, the public, and people who want to sit with the family. That's where Reverend Al Sharpton was. He was an invited guest. He needs every right to do so. I don't know what type of motion he's going to do. He's filing okay. so I get the answer that he wants you are allowed to go to court. You, I, anybody else. I mean, in this case, as far as, you know, room allows, but court is public for, court. for accountability in order to make sure that the justice system actually works, which is in question here. Let's, let's not even go there quite yet. Right. Okay. It's absolutely
4: racist. I mean, here's the piece. Yesterday we had uh, Barbara Arwhi on, and she said there have been white pastors, there have been rabbis and others who have been praying with the family. He specifically said, "We do not want black pastors in the courtroom." He was so comfortable
8: and he was so forthright and so bold he didn't even realize that what he was saying was racist, which gives you an idea about how he acts inside the courtroom and outside of the courtroom, when he doesn't have a whole audience listening. Didn't even realize, didn't think twice. Still thinks he has a point in order to file that motion on Monday. So you are correct. This is just racist behavior. Um, We've seen this kind of all along in terms of this man and what he has said. Now he is offering an apology. Apology is not going to go that far. And if he wants to really make an apology, he should be out there 11 o'clock next week, Thursday, and address all of those
4: creatures.
5: Uh, And the thing here is you're right. Okay, what kind of
4: motion are we talking about? What, what, what first of all, it's public. The judge even said, and he said, if everybody's abiding by the rules and no one is causing commotion, I can't tell somebody they can't come into the courtroom. And for him to say, oh no, judge, keep these high profile black creatures uh, out of the courtroom because they might impact the jury, so this is the same attorney, though, who complained, saying there were not enough of us on this jury. He is openly saying we need to appeal to the racist Confederate flag flying white folks in Brunswick uh, in this trial. The Butlins the Joe Sixpack.
8: He actually wanted to say that this was a protected class. He was going to go for that. You cannot say that a Joe Six Pack is the same as someone who is African-American or someone who's pregnant or has a disability. Those are protected classes federal on a federal level. There's no way that he would have been able to say that. He's saying things that don't even make sense. He's saying things that I don't, think, I don't even think he actually believes. But listen, Roland, this is all about strategy. He's been complaining about what's going on very peacefully outside of the protest. For, for over a week, we talked about people who were outside peacefully protesting, and he said that this was a distraction. What he is trying to do is distract the court. He is trying to make sure that, you know, because he doesn't have the facts on his side or the law on his side, he's pounding his fists in other areas and making sure that there are distractions otherwise. Because every time that he talked to the attorney, the jurors have to leave. There was one day where the jurors had to leave over six times. Well, that's a lot. Think about, listen, this is a narrative. There, You are watching a story as a jury. Imagine watching a, 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 a story just regularly on Netflix and you have six, six interruptions. The story doesn't flow well. Those interruptions don't bode well. But that is what he's doing. It is all a part of a strategy in order to interrupt, 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 so that the jury loses its continuum in hearing the narrative that these prosecutors are winning in terms of you know who's going to be a winner or a loser. The prosecutor is winning in this case in terms of making sure that justice is, is, is gotten for Ahmad Arbery's family.
4: Uh, last question for you. Can someone file a complaint with the bar uh, for his behavior? Uh, this sort of, this, this, this very specific comment here. Is, is, it, is, it that, is that sort of the kind of complaint
0: that can be filed? With- okay, we'll continue this on other side of the break. Uh, we're coming up on a break. Uh, 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. You listen to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotep. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 on the Superstation and Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Sunday, November fourteenth, 2021. And we are live. Calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a question or comment. Now, be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register for the online courses I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's... um, From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. And we deal with, uh, we start in history with the Louisiana Purchase of 1803 and we deal with history uh, leading up to the Civil War and we deal with from 1865 through 1968 Civil War, uh, Reconstruction, 1865 to 1877, Jim Crow era. We deal with Plessy versus Ferguson Uh, which we're going to talk about in our second hour, because Homer Plessy, uh, the plaintiff, uh, could very well get a pardon uh, out of Louisiana. Um, Louisiana board votes to pardon Homer uh, Homer Plessy of Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896 U.S. Supreme Court case, which legalized uh, Jim Crow segregation and reversed a lot of gains that African-Americans were making during, Um, during Reconstruction, and then we see this reversal of gains after Reconstruction ends, we see about 1881, uh, we're going to see that Tennessee is going to be the first uh, state to vote to segregate railroad passenger cars. They do this, Tennessee does this in 1881. Then uh, we see Tennessee is going to be followed by Florida in 1887, Mississippi 1888, Texas 1889, Louisiana, 1890. Louisiana is where the case, Plessy versus Ferguson, originates out of, okay? Louisiana, 1890. We see uh, uh, Alabama, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Georgia in 1891. South Carolina, 1898. North Carolina, 1899. Virginia, 1900. Maryland, 1904. And Oakland, not Oakland, Oklahoma, 1907, Oklahoma comes into the Union. Um, in 1907, becomes a state in the Union. In 1907, they're going to quickly institute segregation laws and segregation in public accommodations and transportation. And because of uh, what, because of the segregation laws in um, 1907 in Oklahoma, this is why Bass Reeves the legendary lawman that you see uh, also depicted in the harder they fall uh, the Netflix uh western the fictionalized uh fictionalized western uh african american western on Netflix the harder they fall uh even though it deals with real life people real life african american cowboys things like this the storyline is fictionalized Well, Bass Reeves, the legendary lawman that arrested about 3000 outlaws, he had to uh, retire uh, because of segregation after Oklahoma becomes a state in the union. Okay, so we'll talk some about uh, Homer Plessy and Plessy versus Ferguson uh, in the second hour of the show. All right. So right before the break, we were talking about uh, the. McMichael Bryan trial day six in the McMichael Bryan trial. And, uh, we talked about comments from defense attorney, Kevin Gow, who's the defense attorney for William Bryan comments that, uh, he made on, uh, the defense attorney, uh, Kevin Gow made on Thursday. Okay. And he apologizes on Friday for saying, we don't want any more black pastors, uh, come into court sitting with the Aubrey family. Now, he mentioned Reverend Jesse Jackson. Okay. Well, Reverend Jesse Jackson wasn't there. Actually, who was there was Reverend William Barber III. Okay. Reverend William Barber III was actually, actually came to court and he didn't know the difference between Reverend William Barber III and Jesse Jackson. I know they're both uh, light-skinned African-American men with wavy hair, but he didn't know the difference between the two. Okay. So he just (laughs) threw out (laughs) Reverend Jackson's name. All right. I, I want to go back to this clip here. This is from Roland Martin unfiltered Friday, November 12th, when I was a panelist on Roland Martin unfiltered and Roland is speaking with uh, legal analyst, Candace Kelly, who you see on the black news channel, almost every day. Candace is doing a great job there. And sometimes we're co-panelists on Roland Martin unfiltered. Let's go back to uh, the clip. Jalen.
4: Question for you. Can someone file a complaint with the bar, uh, for his behavior, uh, this sort of, this, this, this very specific comment here, is, is, is that, that, that sort of the kind of complaint that can be filed with the Georgia Bar Association?
5: Well, it, it,
8: it can be filed. I mean, listen, there were even people who were on his team that put their heads in their hands. Like, what is this man doing? It can be filed. It interrupted the court, um, it interrupted the process, and it actually didn't make sense. It was racist on its face. The, you you There are people and there are attorneys who are looking at this who sit in important positions and they are questioning whether or not this man should actually keep his license. I'm surprised that he wasn't fined by the court in some way, that there wasn't some type of contempt of court because this just didn't make sense. But on the other hand, you also don't want judges kind of getting involved in the process because this is a judge that runs a very, very tight and clean court so to speak and he just doesn't want to be a part of the fray i'm surprised he wasn't admonished or chastised because he just didn't want to go there but i have a feeling that somebody is watching out there in the bar association in georgia and they're wondering what can we do about this man because this isn't justice this is just biased behavior this is tragic the jury can't do their
4: job well, all right, then. Candace uh, Kelly joined
0: us from South Orange, New Jersey. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right, Bill. Well, good to see you. Okay. And that's Judge Wamsley, who's presiding over that case um, out of Brunswick, Georgia. Okay, so that was from Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, we'll share another segment on tomorrow's show uh, from Roller Martin Unfiltered, and you'll you get to uh, hear me, because we dealt, we dealt with a number of different topics. So... Friday, Friday morning. I was up early. I think Friday morning. I don't remember what time I went to bed for Thursday night, but because we uh, we did our show Thursday, so Friday morning I was watching Morning Joe on MSNBC, and Reverend Al Sharpton was interviewed to talk about uh, the comments from uh, Defense Attorney Kevin Ga. Okay, now this was before. Kevin guy apologized. Now he gave a, he gave a, a weak apology. Cause he said, if he, if he said something that offended people, things like that. Okay. See, see, he didn't say, he didn't say he didn't want any more white pastors. He didn't say he didn't want any more Jewish rabbis. He didn't say he didn't, he didn't want, you know, uh, any imams, or anything like that. He specifically said he didn't want any more black pastors, especially high profile black pastors. So, uh, we're going to go to clip two, Jalen. Um, Reverend Al Sharpton responded to these remarks on uh, on Morning Joe on Friday, November 12th. Let's go to clip two.
4: I want to show a clip of uh, when your name was bandied around in court yesterday and this day, really, it's crazy, uh, crazy attack against you. And I take note, if you haven't yet, Rev, uh, at the people, uh, around the attorney, uh, how, how embarrassed they are by his words and actions.
6: The idea that we're going to be serially bringing these people in to sit with the victim's family one after another, obviously there's only so many things they can have. And if that, the interface is Al Sharpton right now, that's fine. But then that's it. We don't want any more black taxes coming in here. Brother, Jesse Jackson, whoever was in who was sitting here earlier this week, sitting with the victims' family, trying to influence the jury in this case. If the black folks came in here, dressed like Colonel Sanders with a white masks sitting in the back, I mean that would be a lot of
5: <laughs>
4: See the person, that film, head and hand, going, oh, my God, what's wrong with this guy? I mean um it, the, the race uh, is you talk about uh, taking a center uh, center stage here Rev, and taking center stage even from jury selection, where uh, you you have a, a disproportionate share of 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 white people on the jury when you just look at the makeup of that county and and then that, the language on nine one one tapes. Uh, it, it, it's all—it's all very ominous. Uh, take us into the courtroom yesterday. Uh, what happened? What happened day before yesterday? I, I went at the invitation of the parents. Since the killing of Ahmed, uh, I've been very close with the uh, family. National Action Network has supported them. Uh, just three weeks ago, I preached in Savannah at a church. Both the mother and father came, and they had a press conference asking me to come. I went. Uh, to both console them, to hold the press conference and do a prayer vigil. And that's what we do, uh, part of the services at NAND. Just two weeks ago, Monday before last, when we had the 30th anniversary of National Action Network. We have families there that we fought for 20, 30 years ago because we stay in touch every holiday I call them. That's what we do. So the mother and father get to designate one person each day, uh, each that they can bring in the courtroom. And the father brought me as his designate. The mother brought her designate. And I sat on the last row of the courtroom. And uh, the, the, the lawyer admitted himself, he didn't know till later that I was even there. I'm there to console them. They're in the courtroom looking at three men that killed their son. That's traumatic enough. They are behind the defense table is the family of those that killed uh, their son. And then they're behind them. To sit there every day, can you imagine the trauma and stress this mother and father go through, hearing about the evidence, hearing the evidence about how their son was killed, looking at the killers, and you want to tell them that a minister that's working with them, the head of the civil rights group, that has been working with them, can't come in the courtroom? And then to make it worse, Joe, he makes it blank, and we too many black pastors. We don't want black pastors. Not even pastors.
0: Okay, pause right there. We'll, we'll continue this on that. Right there, we'll we'll continue this on the other side of the break. Just back it up about 30 seconds or a minute. Coming up on the break, 313 778 7600. Uh, You listen to the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes.
1: Mental health and well being have long been a taboo subject in the so called African American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post traumatic slave syndrome.
2: We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. We are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese. Because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored
1: in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. Stop stops for the ghost, L-O-X-D block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man, Ron Life Speaks, at
3: diewilly.com.
9: Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time the largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30-plus channels, thousands of shows, black-on-purpose television network,
0: Subscribe now. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation WFDF. Um, it's Sunday, November 14th, 2021. Calling numbers number 313-778-7600, 313-778-7600. So right before the break, we were talking about defense attorney Kevin Gow and his uh, comments uh, in court on Thursday, November 11th. Uh, he is defense attorney for William Bryan uh in the McMichael Bryan trial in the uh murder of Ahmad Auberry. Uh he apologized uh on Friday, November 12th for his we don't want any more black pastors uh comments. And he talked about Reverend Al Sharpton being in court, who was a guest of uh the father of Ahmad Auberry. And he was sitting in the back of the uh, other the back of the court. He wasn't bothering anybody, he didn't do a speech uh or anything like that. Uh, Reverend Al Sharpton was on Friday, November 12th was on Morning Joe uh, explaining uh, what was happening and what happened and responding to these uh, idiotic comments from defense attorney Kevin Guy. Let's go back uh, to this clip, of uh, Jalen. Imagine
4: the trauma and stress this mother and father go through, hearing about the evidence, hearing the evidence about how their son was killed, looking at the killers. And you want to tell them that a minister that's working with them, that head of the civil rights group that has been working with them, can't come in the courtroom? And then to make it worse, Joe, he makes it blanket. We too many black pastors. We don't want black pastors, not even pastors. I mean, how do we know the difference between a regular black and a black pastor, unless you have a collar on? And and to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken, a stereotype associated with blacks, I mean, it is the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. And I, to the judge's credit, he says he wasn't going to do it. Imagine the precedent of saying I'm going to involve black pastors. I've seen policemen uh, on trial, whether they were the victim or whether they were accused. and. Police packed the courtroom. Joe Madison, the radio host, brought that up. Police packed the courtroom. Do you say they're trying to intimidate the jury? But a black minister by himself, sitting with a mother and father, I'm intimidating because I'm yeah. on the back row? It, it, it is absurd on his face. Well, it's interesting. I mean, he, he obviously just wanted to bring up your name, and again, hope to play into racial stereotypes with the jury. Uh, the overwhelmingly white jury, because you're on the back row. He doesn't even know you're there. And and he's saying that. I want to underline something that you said, because often when you go to trials or you go uh and you're with family at, at events, uh, people will criticize you and say, oh, why is he always there? Why is he at these places where people uh, have been killed or what? Well, I know you. I know you start every day. Uh, you get on the phone uh, after you're off this show, you get on the phone, you call 10 people every day, people whose kids are in trouble or people who are in trouble themselves. And as a pastor, you comfort them, you console them. You say, I'm here. By the way, I'm not doing a commercial for you. I know you. We're friends. This is what you do. And I've never known one time when you went to one of these places well, you aren't there because the family of a deceased son or daughter is asking you to go there. Can you underline that fact again, do uh, who twist your actions? I think it's very important that we do not go into any cases at all. We be a National Action Network and me personally, that we're not asked to come. Most of these cases, 90%, we never heard of the case until the family calls us. I never heard of Ahmed I never heard of, of of the case of Trayvon Martin ten years ago till the family came up. We come and help to bring public light, but we also have a bond. A lot of Trayvon Martin's brother uh, or who lives in New York now, in close with my daughters, because we become like family. This is 10 years, because they can talk to us about things they don't want to talk to other people about. That's what ministers do. I'm a minister and an activist. Yeah. My ministry is my activism. I take this very seriously because that could be my kid. Ahmed could have been my son. And I'm not going to, in any way, not be there for his parents, because that could be me sitting in the courtroom about one of my daughters.
0: Okay, all right, thanks, Jayden. Okay, so that was from Morning Joe. That was an excerpt of um the interview from Morning Joe on Friday, November twelfth so so the first attorney Kevin Goyle then goes and starts talking about colonel Sanders, right okay, so it's like okay, you got to be like seventy sixty seventy years old'- cause, 'cause like most people don't who go to Kentucky Fried Chicken don't talk about colonel Sanders. Colonel Sanders used to be or somebody portraying Colonel Sanders. Used to be in KFC commercials, you know, years ago. But it's, and I, I think in the last few years they've had somebody. That's, that's not the real Colonel Sanders. Colonel Sanders died years ago. But it's like, okay, you reference Colonel Sanders in white gloves? It's, <laughs> it's just crazy. But once again, this is Georgia, okay? Georgia has one of the largest Confederate monuments in the country. Georgia and and the the whole case is really strange. The reason why is now we've talked about this here before on the show and pretty much each day we've been dealing with we've been dealing with the story, we've been dealing with the trial. Um so the for instance the citizens arrest law that the defense is citing even though uh none of the three defendants said citizens ar- citizens arrest when they were chasing a mob Arbery for five minutes. They didn't say citizens arrest. And when the, pre- the police arrived on the scene, they didn't tell the police they were trying to effectuate a citizen's arrest, but let's just, okay, let's just go with what you made up after the fact allegedly the citizens arrest law that they're citing dates back to 1863 when when georgia was part of the confederacy so this is this is a this is a a law uh during slavery okay when georgia was part of the confederacy georgia had separated from the u.s to become part of the confederacy to maintain slavery they took up arms against the union committed treason based upon article three section three of the u.s constitution If we look at this article from fastcompany.com that came out July 2020, that gives background historical information on the citizens arrest law. We know the law was repealed um, in May 2021 in Georgia, but the law was established in 1863 to allow white people to be able to capture slaves for fleeing to join the Union Army during the Civil War. Okay, so they were running away from running away from Georgia plantations, running behind union lines. And this law was created to target fugitive runaway slaves. In 1863, and this is what they chose to claim as their defense, and they chased them out, buried down like a runaway slave. Then we are about to go to clip three, uh, Jalen. We're going to clip three from NBC Nightly News. Then in court. On Thursday, November 11th, right? You have uh, Larry English Jr. testimony that he gave uh, back in September. Uh, Larry English Jr. is the homeowner whose house uh, Ahmad would would go into. Okay, and we'll we'll play this on the other side of the break. You got to hear this. You got You ain't gonna believe this because I'm sitting there day after day looking at this, and I'm like, what year do these people live in? What year do these people live in down in Brunswick, Georgia, in the in the Glenn County, Georgia area? Listen to the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes.
1: Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome.
2: We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. We are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese because, again, all the things that we experienced in
1: childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. Stop stops for the ghost, L-O-X-D block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the Matrix.
3: Check out my man, Ron Life Speaks, at diewilly.com.
0: Kwanzaa is coming, and the Kwanzaa shop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs. Order your Kwanzaa set today, which includes a Kanara, Candles, a mat, a cup, the African American flag, and a basket. Visit the shop.com, shop.com. They have Kanara sets which include a candle holder, candles, a mat, and a cup. Kwanzaa is December 26th through January the 1st. At the Early Bird discount code for ten percent off your order placed before november twenty eighth. Visit the kwanzashop.com and place your order today. The kwanzashop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs to celebrate this African American Pan African holiday. The kwanzashop.com. Welcome back to the African History Network show. I'm your host Brother Michael M Hotep. It's Sunday, November 14, 2021. Okay, uh so right before the break I was talking about uh some of the history behind the citizens arrest law in Georgia that three defendants are using as the pretext to effectuate a citizens arrest on a martyr even though they didn't tell Ahmad he was under citizens arrest. They basically created this after the fact because they didn't tell the, the 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 police who arrived on the scene have testified in court and they testified that they, the guys didn't tell them that they were effectuating a citizen's arrest. And they're reading from a transcript of uh, the uh, body camera footage that recorded interactions with Gregory, Gregory McMichael, Travis McMichael and William Bryant. But as we were talking about right before the break, This citizen's arrest law dates back to 1863 during the Civil War. And Georgia has seceded from the Union. We know uh, the first state to secede from the Union was uh, South Carolina, December 20th, uh, 1860. Civil War starts April 12th, 1861 with the attack on Fort Sumter in in, uh, South Carolina. And this law was created to, this law was established to allow white people to uh, be able to capture uh, uh, runaway slaves fleeing from uh, plantations in Georgia and joining Union troops, okay? It was targeting fugitive runaway slaves. Read this article here from fastcompany.com, The Troubling History of Citizens' Arrests from Slave Patrols to Ahmad Arbery to ICE. This is from uh, July of 2020, okay? And then, we're about to go to clip three, Jalen. Then in court on Thursday, November 11th, okay, which was day five of testimony in the trial. Um, Larry English, who owned the home on Satilla Drive, where uh, that was under construction for over a year, had no doors, no windows, did not have a sign saying uh, uh, no trespassing. He testified Um, He gave testimony uh, a few months ago, okay? And they played this testimony in court, all right? Um, And he called, Larry English called authorities back on November 17th, 2019, when he saw a white couple entering his property, telling, uh, and then he, uh, he also called back in October 2019 he made a call to authorities to establish, uh, to report an individual on his property. Here's what happened. Here's how he described that individual. In October 2019, when he called the police, let's go to clip three, Jalen.
10: A homeowner's 911 call after seeing someone on his home security camera in the neighborhood where Ahmad Aubrey was killed. video from five months before the fatal encounter attorneys for the three men accused of murder say it was aubrey one of at least four times he was seen in the house under construction as the defense tries to convince the jury aubrey was not an innocent jogger but rather a suspicious figure the defendants were trying to place under citizen's arrest and who defendant travis mcmichael already had come face to face with Near that same house under construction, the jury hearing McMichael's 911 call 12 days before he shot and killed Arbery, he says in self defense.
4: When I turned around and saw him and backed up, he reached into his pocket and ran into the house, so I don't know if he's armed or not.
10: Arbery's family has said he stopped at the construction site because he wanted to learn how to build a home for his parents. Prosecutors showed the jury video of several other people at the location while questioning the owner about whether Arbery ever stole anything.
5: The prosecutors
10: say the defendants had no reason to chase Arbery on the day in question while asking the police Michael officer to be part of one of the defendants' first interviews.
7: What does Michael say on lines 3 through 6? He was
11: trapped
7: like a rat. Testimony expected to continue with more police officers quoting their
10: interrogations of the defendants as prosecutors try to use their own words to convict them.
0: Okay, so... Jalen, just uh, cue that back up from the beginning, because I don't think people heard how Larry English Jr. uh, described uh, the person who he saw on camera. Okay, now read the article from CNN. Uh, This is from November 12th, uh, 2021. It was from uh, November 11th, 2021, Thursday, updated Friday, November 12th, uh, 2021. Uh the name of this article here, and they got these ads playing on uh CNN's page. Uh, homeowner who called uh nine one one homeowner who called nine one one homeowner who called nine one one about uh people at site in months before Auberry's killing testified he did not ask the McMichaels. To secure his property, okay. I think that's the uh, right. Yeah, that's, the, that's that article. And so, uh, Larry English Jr. Uh, described an African American person he saw uh, on a security camera as a colored guy. He described him as a. I'm sitting. I'm sitting there watching this stuff. And I'm like, okay. So you know, it can't get worse than. I mean, so you get three white men chasing Ahmad down and. It, at least two of them have guns. They chase them down like a runaway slave. They're they they, they they're using the 1863 Civil War era citizens arrest law that was used to target fugitive runaway slaves. While uh, Georgia was part of the Confederacy because they separated from the Union and took up arms to maintain slavery. And uh, then you have um, it was also on Thursday that you had Kevin Gow say we don't stand up in court and say we don't want any more black pastors now the 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 uh jury had uh had had uh been asked to step out for him to make that motion but larry english said he installed cameras around the home uh that he was able to monitor so that he was able to monitor uh using an app on his phone in late april in late october 2019 Late October, 2019, Larry English made a call to authorities to report an individual on his property, whom he described, quote, as a colored guy, got real curly looking hair, end quote, with tattoos, who was just, quote, pondering around, end quote, and asked for a deputy to go to the property. Let's go back to clip three. I want the people to hear this again. Let's go to clip three, Jalen. <laughs> A homeowner's 911 call after seeing someone
10: on his home security camera in the neighborhood where Ahmad Aubrey was killed. The video from five months before the fatal encounter. Attorneys for the three men accused of murder say it was Aubrey, one of at least four times he was seen in the house under construction. As the defense tries to convince the jury, Aubrey was not an innocent jogger but rather a suspicious figure the defendants were trying to place under citizen's arrest. And who defendant Travis McMichael already had come face to face with near that same house under construction. The jury hearing McMichael's okay. 911 right call, right call 12 days before he shot and pause killed right Aubrey, he says in self-defense.
5: When I turned around right, and saw right
11: him right up, he reached into his pocket. and ran into the house, so I don't know if he's armed or
10: not. Aubrey's family has said he stopped at the construction site because he wanted to learn how to build a home for his parents. Prosecutors showed the jury video of several other people at the location while questioning the owner about whether Aubrey ever stole anything. No. Prosecutors say the defendants had no reason to chase Aubrey on the day in question, Arbery, while asking the police Greg officer Michael to be part
7: Michael of one of the defendant's three first interviews. What does Gregory Michael say on lines three through six?
11: He was trapped like a rat.
7: Testimony expected to
10: continue with more police officers quoting their interrogations of the defendants. Prosecutors try to use their own words to convict them.
0: All right. Stop it. Okay. I was saying stop the clip. I guess you couldn't hear me. Okay. So he described him as a colored guy and I'm sitting there. Colonel Sanders, black pastors, 1863 civil war era fugitive slave law, citizens arrest, colored guy, And I'm sitting there trying to figure out, okay, what year is this? (laughs) Read this article here from uh, CNN.com. Homeowner, uh, homeowner who called 911 about people at site in months before Aubrey's killing testified, he did not ask the McMichaels to secure his property. Okay, uh, that's from CNN. That was updated on uh, November 12, twenty one. All right, now uh, we'll have more coverage uh, of day seven on uh, Monday show. All right, I want to switch gears here and I want to uh, look at the, go to the infrastructure bill. Now, we've been talking about this pretty much each week uh, here on the, here on the show, and you know we've dealt with uh, segments before. That dealt with uh, racism when it comes to uh, uh, highways and infrastructure, Department of Transportation, uh, things like this. NBC News has a huge uh, article that came out back in June. Um, It's called uh, Bisected, I think, uh, what was it? Uh, Bulldozed and bisected. Bulldozed and bisected. Okay. And this is uh, another piece of evidence that deals with the uh, history of racism when it comes to infrastructure. Okay. Now, idiots like Senator Ted Cruz, um, who they they should have a recall election in, in Texas um, to recall Senator Ted Cruz once they get this voter suppression bill straightened out uh, in Texas. But You know, Senator Ted Cruz uh, tweeted, you know, something crazy like uh, how could a a highway be racist or something like that? What did this idiot say? Um, And he was responding to Secretary of Transportation uh, Pete Buttigieg on Monday, November 8th, when uh, Secretary uh, Buttigieg spoke at the uh, White House press briefing. Okay, to talk about the uh, 1.2 trillion dollar infrastructure bill and a history of racism when it comes to um highways and infrastructure, things like this, transportation. Okay, so if, if this article here bulldozed and bisected highway construction built a legacy of inequality. All right, uh, we're going to go to. We're going to go to clip, um, we're going to go to the, hold on, I think I have to send it to you. We'll go to this in just a second on the other side of the break. Uh, Bulldozed and bisected highway construction built a legacy of inequality. Now, this is from June 18th, 2021, NBC News, okay? And gives a lot of background information into this history. But one of the things it talks about is the U.S. Interstate Highway Acts of uh, 1952 and 1956, uh, and It also talks about New Orleans. OK. And how and the expressways going through New Orleans. But the uh Federal Aid Highway Act in 1956 brought 41,000 miles, 41,000 miles of interstate highways to uh, the country to go all across the U.S. And. Um, there's a there's a recognition now of the harm. And in the last few years, the harm that these expressways have done okay what has changed decades after the federal aid highway act of 1956 which brought 41,000 miles of interstate highway to the country is the recognition of the harm that was done to communities left in the shade of of these now aging roadways these now aging roadways we have a crumbling infrastructure infrastructure that's 50 60 years old etc Okay, from 1957 to 1977, uh, the program, the Federal Aid Highway Act program displaced over four hundred and seventy five thousand households and one million people. Displaced over four hundred seventy five thousand households and one million people, according to the U.S. Department of Transportation. Now, as as many of these hulking structures reach obsolescence. The federal government and many states and cities are belatedly recognizing the harm they cause and are working with communities to design alternatives that repair the damage. Uh, working with communities to design alternatives that repair the damage. We'll deal with this on the other side of the break. Listen to the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. stand by stand by back from break
12: Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting, LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365 and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung. PCmatic security software and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed Internet service providers, VoiceOver IP and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701.
0: Welcome back to the African History Network show. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. Okay, let's go back to uh, right before the break. Uh, we was sharing this clip from um, Velshi, Ali Velshi's show on MSNBC. This is from Saturday, November 13th. One of the things they talked about was the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill in a history Of racism encoded into um, the infrastructure of America, Uh, the highways, things like this. Okay? Let's go back to that clip, (laughs) Jalen.
13: back let's continue this conversation about racism and infrastructure i'm joined once again by democratic congressman richie torres of new york and amy staley an architectural and urban designer congressman i want to talk a little bit first of something that we're seeing coming out of the republican party some of your republican colleagues say that infrastructure and racism don't go together That this is something that is again once again brought in by the democrats can you break that down for me
6: Well infrastructure can be racist either in intent or fact or both because there are human beings behind infrastructure uh, the racism of robert moses is, is a matter of historical fact documented by robert caro in the power broker um, but what concerns me about you know, highways like the russ bronx is the racially disparate impact it has on communities of color the people of color have a greater likelihood of living not only near highways but incinerators, these transfer stations, the uses of land that are known to impose the greatest environmental and public health burden. The difference in life expectancy between the South Bronx and the Upper East Side is as much as a decade, and that has more to do with the environment than it does with individuals.
7: Amy, I want
13: to actually read an excerpt of your op-ed that you wrote for the Washington Post. And quote: I do not understand why we can't look at these infrastructure relics, the way we look at monuments to white supremacy, such as statues of Confederate heroes and obelisks, philosophizing the lost cause. The statues are hurtful reminders of the times when Black people and Native Americans were seen as commodities or nuances in need of removal. the fact that the Biden administration is acknowledging this reason today, does that give you hope that we're going to, once again, move away from the sins of the past and into a brighter future?
7: Yeah, Um, actually, it does give me a lot of hope. But what we all have to do is decide that we're going to run in the same direction together. So it's one thing for the president and the current administration to um, express this intent. It's another thing for the cities and the states to get on board, and you know, for people who don't live in these kinds of conditions to support those of us who do. It's going to take all of us. To conquer this problem,
13: Congressman, there is a specific earmark of a billion dollars to address exactly this issue of tearing down some of the expressway, trying to revitalize and, and unify community in the in the infrastructure bill. Is that enough money?
6: A uh, billion dollars is, is far from uh, enough, but the larger share of infrastructure funding could potentially go toward um, racially, racial equity initiatives and infrastructure. You know, for me, the fundamental difference between FDR's New Deal and Joe Biden's Build Back Better is the emphasis on racial equity. And there's no greater expression of racial equity than reconnecting neighborhoods that have been divided for far too long by racist highways. And we should invest more resources toward that, toward that end.
13: When the first, when the infrastructure bill first came out to that point, you were a little disappointed in what was, because perhaps there was not enough. Can you explain how your stance has changed and why it changed?
7: Yeah, well, I've had to look at this differently because we have what we have. So I want to uh, take the approach that this will be incremental development for New Orleans. We will take the monies that we have and do things like, update our traffic study excuse me and work to ensure proper community engagement around this so that we we can get it down and we can be on the same page as a community so there are little things that we can do to get to the bigger goal which is actually to remove and reimagine claiborne avenue as a beautiful boulevard so i've had to change my stance because you have to remain positive and we have to work with what we have But to the congressman's point, a billion dollars is not nearly enough to do all of the work that we have to do across this country to bring up and lift up people who have been affected and impacted by racist infrastructure. And it is there. It's not only there in highways, it's there in things like railroads, where railroads are used to divide communities. So we've got a lot of work to do in America. To actually make things right, and I think once we all get on the same page, we can do this. I'm confident that we can do it. And I did think that it was
13: striking for a, secret- a city secretary to actually acknowledge the racism that it sometimes is very true, but most Americans don't realize when it comes to something as remote as infrastructure and how it was intentional. Congressman, can you talk a little bit about how this is going to perhaps make all the difference in the Bronx?
6: It has the potential to be transformative. Um, nothing would do more to improve the public health of the South Bronx, the poorest congressional district in America, and capping the Cross Bronx Expressway, which would mean preventing the polluting of our air and and the poisoning of our children. If, if the South Bronx were wealthier and lighter, there would be no Cross Bronx Expressway unleashing massive amounts of greenhouse gas emissions and air pollution, poisoning children. We would never allow. A wealthier white soldier and sort of in those conditions. Um, people of color deserve better, and clean air should
13: be a right, not a privilege. Well said, Congressman Roger Torres and Amy Steli. thank you for your work and tenacity. Appreciate you having both as a guest today.
0: Okay, pause it right there, Jalen. Okay, all right, pause it right there. Stop the clip. Thank you, thank you. All right, that was uh, Maria Teresa Kumar. Sitting in for Ali Velshi. If you listen to said, well, that doesn't sound like Ali Velshi. That's <laughs> Maria uh, Teresa Kumar was sitting in for Ali, uh, Ali Velshi on, um, Ali, Ali Velshi, A-L-I, Ali Velshi on Saturday, November 13th, 2021. That's from MSNBC.com. At the time of uh, putting together this segment for the show, That is from MSNBC's podcast because they have not uploaded the video yet. So I had to go into their audio podcast and retrieve uh, that audio and go throughout the entire show and find where that segment was out of a two hour show. Uh, But anyway. uh, We're coming up on a break here. Uh, I'm going to come back to this article here. Let's go to the phone lines quickly. Let's go to line one. Let's go to Wadsworth line one. Thanks for holding Wadsworth. Uh, Go ahead with your question or comment.
5: Yeah. You go, I, I, I do have a comment, right or all right? I I I, 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 I actually have two comments. The, the, the one thing, because me, because me and my mother were talking last night. We 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 were talking, we, talking, we, talking, we talking, about four a.m. and we we're talking about how 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 it was interesting. We, 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 when they got rid of when they got rid of the name when they when it removed Pocoha the name when they got with a Poco Haw name when they Cop- husband, when they Copohar, husband, I was that nice but uh replace it with it with another name but we get we have,
0: we have other institutions. about the TCF Center is
5: there now. We have, we have, we a community college. We have a beautiful hospital, and we have four core companies, which we know here for folks who who are the biggest racists, and, and, and he he does, he does, he and he we hate black people and, and, and I I, and I want to give you all this to see if, 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 if black people should 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 should, should, should stand up it's and, and, and should we keep their name should we could also change it should should we change, should, we should we change which name
0: should we change which name? Should uh, we change which name? I can use. You said, should black people change which name? Which name or which building are you talking about? You talked about Cobalt Hall is not a TCF center. Okay, which, which name are you talking about changing? I said, I shouldn't
5: change for a hospital. Hearing for a hospital? Hearing for a community college. Okay. All
0: right.
9: Hearing for a community
5: college, hearing for a hospital.
0: It's up to the people in charge of the hospital. It's up to the people in charge of the hospital if they want to change it from Henry Ford Hospital. You have to look and see who's in control of Henry Ford Hospital, who's in control of Henry Ford College, and see if they wanna if they wanna change that name. Okay. Uh what's your next point? Because 'Cause we're running out of time. We only we're coming up on our last break. Oh my next point
5: is Okay, my next my next point this my next point is that I'm gonna I I'm get your feet on it and what do you what do you say about it what would it take for for us that for us that, for us black for us for us have a black community for 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 to get things done for ourselves until have until have be being sit back in the sidelines, what, 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 what would it take for us to that we can stay, that we can be front that, that, that we can achieve our goals and not, and not be not be like a follower okay all right
0: they, all right all right well, what does it, what does it take first it takes uh, a plan secondly it takes execution of the plan understanding politics, understanding politics, how to get uh, laws passed. Uh, It understands leveraging our economics to enforce our politics. Okay. It uh, understands a a number of different things take place. Some people will start at different points. Some people will start running for school board positions. Other people will start with economic empowerment, starting businesses. Other people will start with getting involved in politics. They may sit, they may be, become part of the charter commission. They may run for elected office when it comes to city council. So you can start where you are. You don't have to wait until sometime in the future. You can start where you are and unite with like minded people to, to get things accomplished. Okay. All right. Thanks for your call, Wiles. We'll call back tomorrow night. Uh, we're coming up on our last break. Uh, you listen to the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes.
14: Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today
0: welcome back to the african history network show i'm your host brother michael m Hotef. it is sunday november fourteenth, twenty 2021. okay um we're gonna go to Jalen. we're gonna go to that last clip uh then homer plezzy recommended for pardon from the black news channel that is um i think that's clip number seven we're gonna go to that here in just a second okay all right so the, the the interview with uh, Representative James Clyburn on Prime with Charles Blow, we played that a couple of days ago on the show, okay? And that's dealing with the infrastructure bill. It's a very interesting interview, but we don't have time for it again tonight. So we'll we'll play that on our Monday show. You know, we hear Monday through Friday, eleven PM to midnight. Yeah, clip number seven, Jalen. Uh we hear Monday through Friday, uh I'm not sorry, not clip number seven. It is uh clip number eight. It'll be clip number eight. Did I send that to you? You know, versus Ferguson. Take a look here. Uh, We're going to go to that. We don't have time. Okay, we don't have time for the um, uh, James Clyburn clip. Let me send this to you right quick. Everybody read this article here from uh, Yahoo News. Buttigieg responds to Ted Cruz on racism and highway design because Ted Cruz picked a fight this week with Big Bird. Okay, over vaccinations, (laughs) and then and then Ted Cruz picked a fight with Secretary Buttigieg for telling the truth about racism, historic racism, in uh, infrastructure. All right, so um, you know it's it's not bad enough that Ted Cruz defends insurrectionists, but he has to um, also pick a fight with imaginary uh, characters, uh, puppets. Uh, from Sesame Street, and then also he he um, wants to downplay the severity of racism when it comes to uh infrastructure. okay, I just sent it to you jalen we' we'll go, we'll go to that clip um it, quickly here, if we look at this uh excerpt from this article, it says the tendency to build highways and neighborhoods with lower incomes or high propo- or higher proportions of people of color sometimes acting as de facto de facto racial boundaries is well-established and it is one reason that pollution and illnesses such as asthma are more prevalent in those areas, all right? And then uh, it has the clip in here, okay. Some conservative pundits and politicians, including former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee, who's a Republican, uh, reacted with incredulity to... Uh, secretary Buttigieg's comments uh mike huckabee whose daughter whose, whose daughter is sarah huckabee sanders one of the biggest liars in the trump administration um uh he should be very proud of his daughter uh quote is this guy serious uh huckabee said um This is what happens when ignorance of facts joins with phony enthusiasm. No, this is what happens when you don't want to out white supremacy and racism and be honest, uh, Governor Huckabee. But looking at your daughter, uh, I see why you don't want to be honest. Uh, Then you had um, Senator Ted Cruz, Lion Flying Ted Cruz, uh, between picking fights with um, uh, Big Bird, uh, Ted Cruz tweeted, the roads are racist. We must get rid of roads. The roads are racist. No, the races are racist, Ted Cruz. (laughs) The roads are racist. We must get rid of roads. Okay, Uh, this is in in response to uh, Joe Concha. Uh, His tweet, April Ryan to Pete Buttigieg, quote, Secretary Mayor Pete uh, laughs. Can you give us the construct on how you would deconstruct the racism that was built into the roadways? End quote. So you have a lot of people, a lot of Republicans who Either want to say, oh, well, that was in the 1920s. That was a long time ago. That was in the 1920s, uh, like with Robert Moses and and things like this in New York. They don't want to deal with the harm that the that these infrastructures are causing right now, the pollution that comes along with them. And they don't want to really talk about how do we deal with this because they don't want to acknowledge that the problem exists in the first place. So read this article here. We'll talk about some more of this this week. Okay, now on um, um Dr. Mark Lamont Hill show okay they talked about the uh Plessy versus Ferguson okay 19 uh, 1896 US Supreme Court case and the the Louisiana board that is looking to give a pardon a posthumous pardon to Homer Plessy who was the plaintiff uh, in this 1896 U.S. Supreme Court case. Let's go to uh, clip number eight, Jalen.
11: Welcome back to Black News Tonight. Louisiana State Board of Pardons earlier today unanimously decided to clear Homer Plessy's record of a 130-year-old conviction. His name might not immediately ring a bell until, of course, one mentions the Supreme Court case of Plessy versus Ferguson. Six decades before Rosa Parks was arrested in Alabama, Homer Plessy had already violated the Separate Car Act by taking a seat on a white-only train car in New Orleans. He was later found guilty and fined $25. That's a lot for back then. He took his case all the way to the Supreme Court, which then upheld the infamous separate but equal ruling. This decision solidified the Jim Crow era segregationist policies in the South until they were struck down by the 1954 decision of Brown versus the Board of Education. Joining me now to discuss is Yahulu Williams. He's a professor of history and the founding director of Racial Justice Initiative at the University of St. Thomas. Dr. Williams, welcome to the show. Help us understand what the Plessy versus Ferguson decision is. Lots of people have heard that phrase, Plessy versus Ferguson. People know the year 1896, but they don't necessarily fully understand what it means. It
15: was the decision, really, that established the doctrine of separate but equal. And this was the idea that in the United States, you could have facilities uh, that were separated by race as long as supposedly there were equal accommodations. And that's why that decision is so important. Louisiana had passed the Separate Car Act in 1890, which required um, separation of the races on public carriers. Homer Plessy and a committee of uh, mixed-race and African-American citizens tried to test the constitutionality of that act, and that's what led to Plessy versus Ferguson. The reason that's so important is that before that, there was a lot of fluidity in race relations. You had some communities where um, African Americans could use uh, the same facilities. uh, Post-Plessy, you see every state, um, essentially in the South, in the former cradle of the Confederacy and even outside the Confederacy, begin to adopt uh, laws that prohibited uh, integration or mixing of the races. Baltimore, Maryland applies that to cities in 1910. I mean, you see it in all aspects of American society and culture, and that's why that decision is so important. It right, pa- really establishes pa- the it right legal... Pause right there, Jaylen.
0: Price- Pause it right there. Okay, um, those watching on our Facebook fan page... Pause it right there, Jaylen. Those, pa- uh, those watching on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, keep watching. We're going to keep going for a few more minutes and finish this clip. Read this article from The New York Times... Homer Plessy's arrest in 1892 led to a landmark ruling. Now he may get justice. We'll talk about this some more on Monday's show. Be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register for the classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. uh, From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. And ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'am for understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. As soon as you register, you can watch the classes we did this weekend. We do the sessions live. They're all recorded. You can go back and watch them anytime. Remember, right now it's correct your own behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Stand by. Okay, stand by, everybody. Let me disconnect this call. Stand by. Let me cue this clip up here. We'll go back to this. Yeah, we have to get out of here. What's everybody doing? They're killing me. They're, they're doing breaks every 15 minutes now. This kill me. There's too many breaks for talk radio. Stand by. Let me cue up this uh, last clip here. Um, it, so, Yohuru your, your Williams, uh, he's in some videos from history.com. Okay. Because I play some of his videos in my class. History.com is the official website of the History Channel. Let's go back to this clip.
3: Ferguson decision. is. Lots of people have heard that phrase, Plessy versus Ferguson. People know the year 1896, but they don't necessarily fully understand what it means.
16: It was the decision, really, that established the doctrine of separate but equal. And this was the idea that in the United States, you could have facilities uh, that were separated by race as long as supposedly there were equal accommodations. And that's why that decision is so important. Louisiana had passed the Separate Car Act in 1890, which required um, separation of the races on public carriers. Homer Plessy and a committee of uh, mixed race and African-American citizens tried to test the constitutionality of that act. And that's what led to Plessy versus Ferguson. The reason that's so important is that before that there was a lot of fluidity in race relations. You had some communities where um, African-Americans could use uh, the same facilities. Post-Plessy, uh, you see every state um, essentially in the South, in the former cradle of the Confederacy and even outside the Confederacy, begin to adopt uh, laws that prohibited a se- uh, integration or mixing of the races. Baltimore, Maryland applies that to cities in 1910. I mean, you see it in all aspects of American society and culture, and that's why that decision is so important. It really establishes the legal precedent for segregation in America.
3: Mm-hmm. Talk to us about who Homer Plessy was. You know, for a lot of people, Plessy versus Ferguson, it's like Brown versus the Board of Education. We know the, na- we know the, the name of the, the, the court case, but we don't necessarily understand who the person was. Who was Homer Plessy? Most people don't know about pre-civil Rights era activists, Who paved the way for many of the decisions that we would see with Rosa Parks, that we would see with Martin King, etc. It's a it's a great story in
16: that regard because it exposes people to these ordinary individuals who otherwise have ambiguous lives, but wind up in these in these court cases, and we're exposed to them in that way. Mm. I was very excited today when I heard people talking about Claudette Colvin, people talking about. Um, Mary Miles, who sued the Philadelphia and Westchester Railroad in 1867. Homer Plessy from 1896. Of course, Rosa Parks, whom everyone knows. Uh, But these were ordinary average African Americans. Homer Plessy was a a shoemaker, um, was involved in civil rights, had been someone who was upset by the Separate Car Act, wanted to do something to challenge that inequality in his community. And when the opportunity presented presented itself, because he for all intents and purposes presented as white, Uh, he agreed to uh, be the test case for that particular um, challenge. And so we celebrate him today, too. This is a a victory for acknowledging that history and acknowledging the role. I think this is an important lesson for young people, that ordinary activists, ordinary people play in helping to make history. People don't wake up and say, I'm going to make history today. They just put themselves in positions where they can challenge inequality. And sometimes history catches up.
3: So... That context of this ordinary person who engages in a battle, an act of resistance, both in the moment and also through the courts long term. He's doing this in the middle of New Orleans. New Orleans was a multiracial city. Um, The separate car act had an extraordinary impact on the culture, an extraordinary impact on daily life in an urban city like New Orleans. What did it mean for him to do what he did?
16: It was a huge act of defiance, Mark. And in fact, this is what's so interesting about New Orleans is the site of this case. Because it is a city where there is so much intermixture of the races, where you have that French influence, Creole influence, and no prohibition, at least early on, in terms of uh, what they call miscegenation and the missing, uh, mixing of the races. Uh, the idea was that if you were going to challenge something like the Separate Car Act, that was the state to do it in. Because it was very difficult to tell where the color line actually began and ended. The argument was that for all intents and purposes, if if Homer Plessy had not told the conductor on the train that day that, in fact, he was African-American, there's no way that the conductor would have known. And that in and of itself was uh, their attempt, this Committee of Concerned Citizens' attempt to illustrate the inanity of having a law uh, based on the color of one's skin that would determine where they sat in a public area or what their citizenship rights would be in relation to their color. So, you know, in that sense, this was a huge case in New Orleans, huge case because it really was going to define the color line as we know it. Today, we think about and we talk about particularly the African-American community, a host of products that people use to straighten their hair, to lighten their skin. That's also a legacy of Plessy versus Ferguson. When the line, the color line is determined by color features and hair, there's property in whiteness and being able to present white. And so you see um, in the aftermath of Plessy versus Ferguson, people trying to achieve that look so they could have access to literally first class citizenship.
0: Let me back it up here for a minute, because, see, he's talking, he's connecting whiteness with Plessy versus Ferguson 1896 and characteristics of whiteness and and having white supremacy and racism imposed upon us then trying to adopt characteristics of white supremacy or characteristics of whiteness to gain access. So he talks about straightening hair, lightening skin, trying to adopt uh, physical attributes of whiteness to then gain access uh, in this society. Uh, I'm gonna go back to that, but then also it's important to note when you study Homer Homer Plessy was like seven-eighths white, okay? And if you look at uh, Homer Plessy, I'm going to pull up this picture here of him. As he said, see, Homer Plessy was from uh, Louisiana. As he said, if Homer Plessy had not told uh, the conductor, you know, his racial makeup ethnicity, the conductor wouldn't know, he could he could have passed. This is Homer Plessy. He could have passed. All right, I want to go back to this clip.
16: There's property and whiteness and being able to present white. And so you see um, in the aftermath of Plessy versus Ferguson, people trying to achieve that look so they could have access to literally first class citizenship. Um, That's also kind of the hidden legacy of Plessy as well.
3: So there are two major 14th Amendment decisions that we can think about. The first one is Plessy versus Ferguson. The second one is Brown versus the Board of Education. One is saying that separate is equal. The other is saying that uh, separate is inherently unequal. Right. So we've seen the kind of progression and shift based on these court cases. Are there other rulings that we should be thinking about historically? Are there other things that we might not be thinking about are as big a deal as they are? Because my audience right now is like, oh, okay. Plessy, now I get it. Now I get how this affects us sitting at a lunch counter. Now I get what our ancestors were fighting against. What else are, are, are rulings that are in a similar vein?
16: That's a great question, Mark. I think a half a dozen that immediately present themselves or come to mind for me on um, the Scottsboro cases, which dealt with African-American representation mm. on jury trials. So criminal justice cases that um, in our history are very important. Neil versus Delaware, another case very similar to um, the Scottsboro cases. When we think about the um, Smith versus All-White, the all-right all-white primary in the South, very important cases. So I, I would say, you know, uh, for people who are interested in this topic, a book like Richard Kluger's Simple Justice, which documents the Plessy case, but looks at these other precedents in other areas, what I like to call the six degrees of segregation, wherever you saw um, barriers to Absolute equality before the law for African Americans and housing and education and access to places of public accommodation and voting rights and Jim Crow justice. You're going to have parallel cases that map to those um, denials. In housing, for example, uh, we think about cases like Hurd versus Hodge and Shelley versus Kramer, which dealt with restrictive covenants, which barred African Americans from owning homes in neighborhoods which were occupied by whites. And these were private agreements, which until the 1940s were judicially Enforceable. It's not until um, *Hurd* versus *Hodge* and *Shelley* versus *Kramer* that that they become judicially unenforceable. But the reality is that segregationist white supremacists found a way around that. We still are dealing with the legacy of redlining um, and restrictive covenants even today. But this is an important aspect of our history. I always uh, say to young people, we should memorize the Fourteenth Amendment to the Constitution. Really, that is for African Americans our Declaration of Independence. And then, secondly, we should understand. Uh, the nuance and context of these cases because they matter tremendously in our contemporary moment.
3: I like that. The 14th Amendment is our Declaration of Independence. That's profound and very, very true. Yuru, as always, you are brilliant. Uh, Thank you for your insight. Thank you for for joining me on Black News tonight.
0: Okay, so that is from um, Friday, November 12th, 2021. Homer Plessy recommended for pardon for 130 year conviction. That's from Black News Tonight. Uh Mark Dr. Mark Lamont Hill speaking with uh professor historian Yahura Yehura Williams. If we look quickly here at this um article from uh, the Washington Post, Louisiana board votes to pardon Homer Plessy of Please versus Ferguson. This is from uh, Friday, November 12th, 2021. In this picture here you see uh this african american man and white woman uh keith Plessy, keith Plessy, p l e s s y keith Plessy, and phoebe ferguson descendants of the principals in the plesey ferguson court case in front of a in front of a historical marker in new orleans on june seventh two thousand and eleven uh very quickly here um In the annals of the Supreme Court, the Plessy versus Ferguson uh, U.S. Supreme Court case has little competition for the title of worst decision in history, little competition for the title of worst decision in history. Now, 125 years after the shameful decision that codified the Jim Crow era separate but equal fiction, the namesake. Of the famous case Homer Plessy, may be pardoned. The Louisiana Board of Pardons unanimously approved a pardon uh, on Friday, November 12th, according to the Associated Press, sending it to Go- Governor John Bell, Edwards, who's a Democrat. Governor John Bell Edwards for final approval. Now, uh, Governor Edwards' press office said the governor is traveling, quote, but looks forward to receiving and reviewing the recommendation of the board uh, upon his return, end quote. When Keith Plessey, a descendant of Homer Plessy, heard the news, he felt like his feet, quote, weren't t- were not touching the ground, weren't touching the ground, end quote. He and his friend, uh, Phoebe Ferguson, a descendant of the judge um, in uh, the case, hopped in the car and were driving across New Orleans to the house of another friend, Homer Plessy biographer, Keith Weldon Metley, to share the news when they spoke with the Washington Post. Quote, not only is this 125 years of long time coming, Keith Plessy said, he said, but the way things have happened at such a rapid pace, just lets you know that Plessy and the civil rights group he was working with, were right. End quote. Okay. Now, um, he credited New Orleans district attorney Jason Williams, who is African American with initiating the pardon effort. Now the new uh the no the New Orleans in which Homer Plessy was raised was a much freer place uh, than the city he encountered as an adult, according to Medley in his book Uh, We as Freeman Plessy versus Ferguson. Uh, Born in 1862, Homer Plessy grew up during Reconstruction, okay? So he he grew up during uh, the Civil War. He grew up, uh, well, he was born during the Civil War, 1862. He grew up during Reconstruction, which is 1865 to 1877. And... Uh, when federal troops occupied uh, the city of New Orleans and enforced equal rights. So this is the, the, during a the period of time that he grows up. African-American residents could vote, run for office, sit anywhere on a streetcar, and for a short period of time attend integrated schools. But Reconstruction ended in 1877 and things changed and things were being rolled back toward the end of Reconstruction also in various states. But Reconstruction ends in 1877 with the compromise of 1877. And segregation laws began popping up all over the South, including the law separating races on train cars. Okay. Now we know that uh it's going to in, in Tennessee the segregation on the train cars is gonna start in Tennessee in 1881. Tennessee State Legislature votes to segregate railroad passenger cars in 1881, followed um, followed by Florida in 1887, Mississippi 1888, Texas 1889, Louisiana 1890, Alabama, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Georgia 1891, South Carolina 1898, North Carolina, 1899, Virginia, 1900, Maryland, 1904, and Oklahoma, 1907, okay? So we're going to see uh, this reversal in rights of African-Americans. We'll see this reversal before 1896 largely. And then the U.S. Supreme Court is gonna rule in 1896 that uh, separate but equal does not violate the U.S. Constitution. So segregation laws began popping up all over the South, including the law separating races on train cars. By 1892, Homer Plessy was a shoemaker. Homer Plessy was a shoemaker, married. uh, He was married and a member of several education reform and civil rights groups. Uh, That's when leaders of one of the groups. Let me scroll down here. That's when leaders. Of one of the group, uh, one of those groups, the Citizens Committee, picked Homer Plessy for an important job. Picked Homer Plessy for an important job. Quote, he did not have the committee leaders' stellar political uh, histories, literary prowess, business acumen, or law degrees, end quote, Metley wrote. Indeed, he, his one attribute was being white enough to gain access to the train and black enough to be arrested for doing so, okay? His one attribute was being white enough to gain access to the train and being black enough to be arrested for doing so, end quote. Now, there are no known photographs of Homo Plessy, but contemporaries described him as appearing to be white. Okay, Uh, on June 7th, 1872, the 30-year-old purchased a a first-class train ticket on the 4.15 p.m. train from New Orleans to nearby Covington, Louisiana. Then he boarded the first-class car with its mahogany interior, brass lamps, and plush seats. According to one account in a white-run newspaper, when the train pulled out of the station, the conductor... Asked to see Homer Plessy's ticket, and after a moment inquired, "Quote, are you a colored man?" in quote. Homer Plessy respond replied, "Yes." Quote. Then you will have to retire to the colored car," end quote. The conductor said. Another version by the African American newspaper, New uh, the New Orleans Crusader, and recounted in Stephen uh, uh book Separate. The story of Plessy versus Ferguson and America's journey from slavery to segregation. This account said has doctor asking, "Quote, are you a white man?" To which Homer Plessy responded, "No." Now uh, Homer Plessy told him he was an American citizen. He had paid for his ticket, and he intended to uh, enjoy what he had paid for all the way to Covington. According to Metley, the train stopped. The conductor flagged down uh, a detective who had been hired by the Citizens Committee to be there. And Homer Plessy was arrested. Within hours, the Citizens Committee bailed him out and released a statement to the media. Quote, "The, the next day, the headline in the New Orleans Daily Crescent read, In the wrong car, a snuff colored descendant of Ham kicks against the Jim Crow law. In the wrong car, a snuff colored descendant of Ham kicks against the Jim Crow law and takes the jail and takes the jail end of it rather than comply with its with its distinctive provisions. That's a long headline. Uh, <laughs> so the judge who got the case, Judge John Howard uh, Ferguson, delayed the trial on the constitutionality of the state law uh, Plessy was charged with violating. Plessy's attorney appealed and the case slowly made its way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Nearly four years later, on May 18th, 1896, the court issued its 7-1 ruling against Homer Plessy. 7-1 ruling against Homer Plessy once justice did not, one justice did not vote because he had left town for a family emergency. So it was a 7-1 court ruling. And though the justice who wrote the opinion, Justice Henry Billings Brown, uh, never actually wrote the words quote, separate but equal, the decision helped establish the infamous precedent. The decision helped to establish the infamous precedent. Quote, we consider the underlying fallacy of a plaintiff's argument to consist in the assumption that the uh, enforced separation of the two races stamps the colored race with a badge of inferiority stamps the colored race with a badge of inferiority uh if this be so it is not by reason of anything found in the act but solely because the colored race chooses to put that construction upon it okay so he's more like saying this in your is it's a figment of your imagination okay if this be so meaning if if african americans are inferior is not by reason of anything found in the act is not because of law is because you just choose to be inferior. Okay. It wasn't because of 246 years of slavery is not because of any law is not because you're being locked out. You have laws locking you out of, um, uh, largely locking you out of large labor unions and things like this. It's It's not because of that. It's not because of segregation laws that have crept up in, in Tennessee and, And Florida and in other states is not because this is 1896. This is after 1890, the Mississippi State Constitution, the Mississippi State Convention of 1890 that institutes poll taxes and literacy tests to suppress the African American vote. This is after um, 1895 when South Carolina did the same thing. Okay. So it's not because of that stuff there, okay. It's not because of the end of Reconstruction and the removal of the Union troops from the South and reversing the African-American rights. No, it's just all in your mind. It's it's, it's, it's just your imagination. If this be so, it's not by reason of anything found in the act, but solely because the colored race chooses to put that construction upon it, end quote. Uh, Justice Brown wrote, quote, the argument also assumes that social prejudices, social prejudices. Uh, may be overcome by legislation, and that equal rights cannot be secured to the Negro except by an enforced commingling of the two races. We cannot accept this proposition. Okay, so all-white primaries are okay. You know, things like this obstacles to the Fifteenth Amendment are all right. You know, that's 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 fine. It's just all in your mind. The idea that services for African-Americans were comparable to those for whites was ridiculous on its face. In the decades of Jim Crow that followed, there was no black only train car with mahogany walls and brass lamps. No black only theater, uh, no black only theater seat except, except in the balcony and no gleaming black only public school with an equal budget to the white one. Homer Plessy faded from the national landscape landscape, but he continued to lead in his working class black community, according to Metley. He died in 1925 with the conviction still on his record. The separate but equal doctrine stood until the U.S. Supreme Court's 1954 Brown versus Board of Education uh, U.S. Supreme Court decision. But that isn't the whole story. Keith Plessy uh, said on Friday and he quoted the determined determined statement the Citizens Committee released. After the 1896 decision. Quote, we as freemen still believe that we that that we were right and our cause is sacred. We as freemen men, still believe that we were right and our cause is sacred, end quote. Quote, it started an explosion of activism, activism, Phoebe Ferguson said, calling New Orleans the cradle of civil of the civil rights movement, the cradle of the civil rights movement. Plessy versus Ferguson. Plessy and Ferguson were hopeful that uh, Governor Edwards would approve the pardon. And that, quote, this could be something for him to hang his hat on. This could be something for him to hang his hat on. After Metley introduced them in 2004, Plessey and Ferguson formed the Plessey and Ferguson Foundation. Together, they have worked to have five historical markers honoring Homer Plessy. Um. Uh, added to the uh, New Orleans landscape. Okay, Uh, read the rest of this article here from the, uh, this is from the Washington Post. We'll talk about this some more later this week. Louisiana board votes to pardon Homer Plessy uh, Plessy versus Ferguson. This is from uh, November 12, 2021. All All right. And this is once again a major history lesson, and we see how history shapes law, shapes law, how law shapes history, etc. Okay, if you like this type of information, you support the African History Network dollar sign the AHN Show through Cash App dollar sign the AHN Show through Cash App, also through PayPal, PayPal.me forward slash the AHN Show, PayPal.me forward slash the AHN Show, and also. um, at our website, African History Network.com, African History Network.com. Okay. Uh, we're, here this, this research, air, uh, um, we're here six days a week. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting. We have six days a week. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, et cetera. All right. Uh, this is our official Cash App account, dollar sign, the AHN show, S H O W. As when you go to it, it shows my picture and it uh it's and our official Cash App tag is dollar sign the AHN show. S H O W. And it'll say Michael. These other ones are fake, fake African History Network Cash App accounts. I didn't set those up. there have been people stealing money from us. All right. Uh we have to get out of here. Remember the African History Network. We focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now it's correct's wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We'll count it forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Kwanzaa is coming and the KwanzaaShop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs. Order your Kwanzaa set today, which includes a Kanara, candles, a mat, a cup, the African American flag, and a basket. Visit theKwanzaShop.com the KwanzaaShop.com. The Kwanzaa they have Kanara sets which include a candle holder, candles a mat, and a cup. Kwanzaa is December 26th through January the 1st. Add the early bird discount code for 10% off your order placed before November 28th. Visit thekwanzashop.com and place your order today. Thekwanzashop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs to celebrate this African-American, Pan-African holiday. Thekwanzashop.com.
9: black on purpose television network yes black on purpose television network all black all positive all the time the largest black on streaming television network in the world bringing our people together worldwide controlling our messages our stories our way black tv the way it should be black music black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows, black on purpose television network. Subscribe now.
14: Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted, empower yourself. Start your free trial today.
10: Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
14: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Uh Aha, in my dentist's office.